0: She's an immigrant from El Salvador who became a law enforcement officer in Southern California. Her husband, also a law enforcement officer, a sheriff sergeant, was brutally murdered, execution style. She's here to talk about that, her mission afterwards, and her book. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On mewee.com. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter. Follow LET Radio Show PO1. On Instagram. Follow LET Radio Show Podcast. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Calling us from Southern California. We have retired L.A. Sheriff's Deputy Tanya Owen on the phone. Tanya, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated.
1: Thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to be here with you.
0: I love having you on the show for a lot of different reasons. By the way, we have a very heavy, heavy show and content to talk about. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. But one of the reasons why is I absolutely love when we have guests on a show that break all the Hollywood stereotypes about law enforcement officers. And you are a great example of just that. I'm the example, the stereotypical example. I'm the knuckle dragon, Neanderthal, whatever you want to say, Irish Catholic guy. So when people think of a cop they think of guys like me and you on the other hand <laughs> you break all those stereotypes which is phenomenal
1: well thank you thank you
0: yeah you're an immigrant from el salvador correct
1: yes yeah, uh actually yes i was born in el salvador and uh my parents brought me here to los angeles in uh, 1974 you know like everyone else to leave a third world country and to come to a, a better country where there are opportunities
0: absolutely And how did you migrate into law enforcement? Because that wouldn't be a career field that a lot of people would expect.
1: No, and you're right because oftentimes in third world countries, law enforcement uh, is not looked at with any type of respect because there's a lot of, um, um, there's a lot of, um, oh boy. Corruption, there's a
0: lot of government nonsense, a lot of dictatorships, a lot of that stuff.
1: There's a lot of corruption. And we have no laws anywhere in the world like we do here in the United States of America. So over there, um, you know, law enforcement can do whatever they want. They don't have to follow any rules. And uh, it's bad. So, of course, coming here to the United States, I never thought that I would uh, like to pursue a career in law enforcement. And uh, as I went uh, through, you know, through school, uh, my initial thought was to pr- pursue a career in, in the medical field. And during that time, my brother, my oldest brother, uh, was a member of the Marine Corps. And, um, of course, he was, uh, you know, assigned close to home at Camp Pendleton. He would come home for the weekends. He would, uh, you know, bring his uniform. And I really loved hearing about what the Marine Corps instilled in him. And so I really liked all the, the structure and everything that the Marine Corps stood for. So I think part of my foundation for law enforcement actually grew from really watching my brother and the pride that he had in his country. And um, so many of our, and- our
0: law enforcement officers are veterans. I mean, I was very lucky. I was trained by Vietnam veterans where a lot of our department when I came on, so long ago. And we even had a few commanders, captains, majors, and above who were Korean War veterans. And they really knew how to police. And I mean, community policing, the things we talk about today, they were a proficient at way back then.
1: Yes. You know, and in fact, when I came on in 1986, a lot of the older, really incredible cops were a lot of well Vietnam vets and um, incredible cops, incredible policemen. And then we went through, you know, a lot of them retiring in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And then, of course, after that, we had all the guys that were going into the, the Gulf War, and then coming out and coming into law enforcement again. So we've always had that military, and we are a quasi-military organization in law enforcement, so that, that, you know, that is ingrained in us. And we have a lot of pride in, in what we do, and really, for us, it's an honor to be able to serve and to wear the badge that we wear every single day, to be out here to, to help people.
0: Absolutely. absolutely, absolutely correct. You are 100% spot on. And I want to thank you for your service. You did, was it, 30 years?
1: Uh, Yes, 32 years as a law enforcement officer, and I actually started as a young cadet at the age of 18, so total of 36 years in law enforcement.
0: One day, we're going to have to have you back and talk about your career, because it's impossible to do uh, that long of a career in law enforcement and not go through some really, really bad stuff, but unfortunately, part of your journey and part of your story involved... And i don't say unfortunately you, you married another law enforcement officer uh he was a sergeant in the sheriff's department and he was shot and killed execution style in the line of duty and that's that's one of the parts of the job that we don't want to talk about but it happens all the time
1: well you know yes absolutely and um, my husband sergeant steve owen um, came on the job a year after i did in 1987. And here's the one thing that that people need to understand when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to the military. um, We are in professions where we go out there and we have no idea what to expect on a daily basis. We can go out and it's going to be a slow day, or we can go out and within 10 minutes we're fighting for our lives. And it's one of those professions, too, where, you know, people... Unfortunately, nowadays, because of all all the rhetoric against law enforcement, they don't take the time to see what that person behind the badge or who that person is. They just wanna judge us based on the uniform we wear and the badge we wear. And automatically we're we're bad, we're bad news. When in all actuality, we're quite the opposite. The very foundation, the core of the heart of a law enforcement officer is love. Love for humanity, love love for a fellow man. And there's nothing more that we want to do than to go out there and be a blessing and ultimately stand between good and evil.
0: There's a movie, and I can't remember which one it was, but a a great line from this movie was, the greatest trick ever played was the devil convincing the world he didn't exist. And I say until the news media and social media convince everyone that police departments, law enforcement officers are a bigger threat than MS-13, than the outlaw motorcycle gangs and uh, organized crime and violent criminals and I never thought I'd see a day where that would be the norm but unfortunately it seems to be right now
1: you know what that makes two of us and it's very unfortunate because we've all known all along that the media controls the public whatever the media puts out it's what the public believes kind of like the old Orson Welles you know what is it people are jumping out of the buildings whatever that was oh the war of the worlds yeah yes The end of the world. And, and people believe that because that's what the media is putting out. But oftentimes, unfortunately, you know, we don't take the time to really look at what's really going on. We just, sometimes we, we're so busy with life, we're so busy with raising kids that we just watch what's on the news and we believe that. And we take that for, you know, it's 100%. It's golden. When in all actuality, you know, they're just controlling the public. They're, that's their best way of, of feeding lies into people. And, uh, and unfortunately, people don't take the time to, to look into things on their own.
0: One of the things that, I say two things, there have been court cases. And what these court cases have ruled is that the news media doesn't have to tell you facts. Their job is to get eyeballs or earballs or whatever it takes on their story. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and I'm going to use print media as an example, newspapers. They always lead with the end of the story first when it involves police. Cops shoot man. They never talk about, at least in the headline, knowing that people won't read anything more than the first couple paragraphs And a headline, they don't talk about the 50 things that the other person did that could have prevented and changed the outcome. We're talking with Tanya Owen, retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy. Also, well, it's just a lot of sad things to talk about. When we return, we'll talk about that, her new mission in life, and more. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Tanya Owen. She is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy also she is an author or co-author and we'll talk more about that in a moment she immigrated from El Salvador became a law enforcement officer in Southern California married a law enforcement officer in Southern California who became a sheriff's sergeant and I believe in 2016 your husband was was shot and killed execution style on line of duty and there's really no polite gingerly way of saying what happened is there
1: no, no. And you know, clearly, as law enforcement officers, we, we clearly know when we sign on the dotted line, once we go to the academy, that this could be the ultimate price that, that could be paid today to lay down our lives for others. But it's something that we don't think about. We, we know that we have a job to do, and we go out there and do it. And October 5, 2016, my husband had 29 years on the job. We were getting close to uh, retirement. Uh, this particular day, um, he was supposed to be off, but picked up an overtime shift because I had to work that same day. I happened to be going to an area about three hours from our home, uh, Palm, known as Palm Springs, and I was actually uh, going to be testing with my partner, my canine partner. Uh, we had just completed six weeks of uh, canine training. Uh, he happens to be an explosives canine, explosives detection canine. And that day, we were, like I said, we were three hours away. And because I was working, my husband picked up a, uh, an overtime spot. And he was about a half hour from uh, the end of his shift when he received a call of a burglary uh, in progress. He was the first um, officer to arrive at the scene. He encountered uh, this individual who we later learned was a violent criminal who was uh, currently on parole Uh, The last transmission my husband put on the radio was that he was going to be detaining him at gunpoint. Exactly five seconds later, the dispatcher came over the air asking him for his status. There was no response. It was that quick how that occurred. We later learned uh, that after the individual shot my husband, he he clearly ambushed him. No doubt. I know my husband. I know how he works. He would have uh, been involved in a gunfight had he seen a weapon. But um, this individual actually was facing away from my husband when he brought the gun from his waistband in between his uh, arm and and uh, body, and, and it was a random shot. He even called it, uh, you know, a lucky shot. It, it's a one-in-a-million shot that could never be repeated, and that shot unfortunately uh, landed on his forehead, completely disabling him. Um, he fell back the suspect that at that point had the option of fleeing running away and maybe even getting away, but he made the decision to run up to him. He stood over my husband and shot him three more times in the face. Another shot to the forehead. He blew out his eye and a shot to his cheek. And the very last shot was to his badge. And to me as a law enforcement officer, that was sent a very clear signal to us that he did not care who it was that was there. No one was going to stand between him himself and what he wanted to do, not even a law enforcement officer. And if you are so brazen and so calculated as to kill a law enforcement officer, who are you not willing to kill?
0: Part of me is Short raging. In, part of me is raging inside that hey, this happened. Number one, at 29 years on the job and as a sergeant a lot of sergeants don't respond to calls i mean they're the last ones to get there they've done their time they've they've gone through the grind so he did things he didn't have to do and when when you say that shot it was a lucky shot it almost sounds like he was facing away from him and it was his back turned to your husband and fired under his arm at him
1: correct he was facing away from him and yes f- uh, fired under his arm uh, my husband did not even see the, the weapon. I guarantee you. I know how my husband worked. There would have been a gunfight
0: One of the things 100%. you said earlier Tanya is I don't know about you. We all knew the risk. Absolutely without a doubt and We did the job anyway, but I, I found a way to put it in the back of my mind that this wasn't going to happen Otherwise, we'd never leave the station house. You'd never got the car. You just wouldn't do a lot of things and I look back on my career and go, man, that was a close call. That was a close call. That was a close call. And, and I don't know how I made it through at this point. And back then, I thought it's, yeah, I'm bad. I'm six foot whatever, I'm bulletproof. I'm a, I'm, a, you know walking, talking, really tough guy. That's not the truth. I don't know why some people who are really great cops didn't survive. And I know other ones who were just horrible and they, they came out unscathed. I don't know why. And I can't put a reason to it.
1: I completely agree with you. Um, We get into some of the most dangerous situations. And like you, I have many times come back into my police car and and thought to myself, oh, my God, that could have gone really bad. And then I'm immediately thanking God. Thank you, Jesus, that it didn't go that way. And uh, because police work, as you know, is not black and white at all. And we have to just do the best that we can with the situation that we're confronted with. And in law enforcement, we are reactionary. You know, we have to react to what people do. And what really frustrates me nowadays is that they want the media, everybody wants to make law enforcement look like we're going out there to specifically injure or to kill others when really the fact is we just react to what they, they do. If people cooperated with law enforcement, that contact would go very well. It would probably even be a pleasant contact. And as you know, you did this job for so many years. We really try to go out there and help everybody. Most of our contacts are with people that are committing crimes, people that are having like the worst day of their lives. And even then, we try to instill in them, you know, something to to get them, you know, past where they're at. We always try to give them good advice. That's really who we are as people we, we're we not robots we're just like everyone else we we have families like everyone else does we have family members that are sick like everyone else does we have marital problems like everyone else does you know we stand in the grocery line just like everyone else does the only difference is, is that each and every morning we put on a uniform and a gun belt and we go out there and we leave our families to go out and protect yours that's the only difference
0: just uh, uh, and be ridiculed, criticized, and I love what you said, it's not black and white. And it's not black and white in a racial manner, although a lot of people seem to think it is. And by the way, if you're one of those people that think it is, that's a statement about you. That's not a statement about me or Tanya or anyone uh, anyone else working in law enforcement. People seem to think that because we wear the same uniform, we have uh, similar requirements or regulations for facial hair, for, in my case, facial hair. I'm sure you never had a mustache. We also had uh, requirements about uh, haircuts and hairstyles and all that stuff. And we tend to look the same or similar. But we're not a homogenized group. We're not a bunch of people that all think, act, and feel the same way. And one of the things that I take great exception to is people will use terms like his systemic. And I go, you know, I don't know the size of your agency. My department just say the time was three thousand. Finding three thousand people to think exactly the same way and and give up their moral compass of what they're raised with is not going to happen. As a matter of fact, my wife and I can't even agree on where to go to dinner. We're going to take a break. This is the law enforcement show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you haven't done so already, please download our app. It's 100% free. we got versions for your Android and iPhone devices 100% free. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. Be sure to get yours today. our conversation with Tanya Owen on the Law Enforcement Today Show, Tanya is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy. She is also co-author of the book, After the Badge. And she and her partner, Vicki Speed, uh, have a, a website. And that website, I believe, is VickiAndTanya.com. We'll talk more about what they do with that in a few moments. Before we end the break, Tanya, we're talking about when your husband, uh, L.A. County Sergeant Steve Owen, was executed, killed in line of duty by gunmen in, I believe it was 2016, and you were training your canine dog, and how did you find out this happened?
1: I was, like you said, I was at Palm Springs training, and I I received the call. I got the call, the call that no one ever wants to receive. Uh, and it was my sergeant, and she said, Tanya, Steve's been shot, and uh, we're going to send a helicopter to pick you up. And immediately, me being the cop, I did not panic. I went into what we call cop mode. You know what that is? Yeah. Um, and I took in the information. The only question I wanted her to answer was, you know, is he alive? She said, yes, he's been rolled to the hospital. That's all I needed to know because, you know what? As long as he's alive, I've got this. We've got this. So after immediately after that, I called my children, told them to pray, uh, not to cry, that they needed to be strong for Dad. It wasn't time for us to, to fall apart and to immediately respond to the hospital. And I told them that I would be there as soon as possible. And while I was making my phone calls and waiting for the helicopter to arrive, a sergeant that was at the hospital called me and said, Tanya you need to speak with Steve. Now, remember at the time, I was told that he was shot. So in my mind, he's only been shot once. And two, when she says you need to speak to Steve, I'm thinking he may not be able to verbalize, but I can probably speak into his ear. And and I knew that the words that I was about to speak were going to be very significant. So I wanted to make sure that it, I was, you know, not crying. And I wanted to tell him That he needed to fight because it's something that from the very time we go to the academy, we're trained that at any time we're in a crisis, we're in a fight for our life or we've been shot. We need to fight and never give up. And the ultimate, you know, response is to win. So that was my mindset at the time. And I'm telling my husband, you need to fight. I need you. We can get through this. But then at that very moment, something uh, came into me and I thought, you know, what if he doesn't make it? I need to acknowledge what He's done for us as His family. So I changed my tone, and I softened it up, and told I thanked Him for everything that He had done, for for loving us, for always being here for us. I just wanted Him to know that that if He felt that He needed to go home to be with our Lord, that He had my permission. And I quickly changed my tone back to, I'm on my way, you know, hold on. Right as, as soon as I hung up, helicopter picked me up. And on the way to the hospital, I remember just looking into the horizon, not talking to my lieutenant, just really still in that cop mode, and really just talking to God. And I remember a conversation Steve and I had that we agreed that if we were ever in a situation where we were in a vegetative state, that we, we did not want to live like that. And that um, at the one month mark, we would have a conversation with the doctor, and if things were not looking well, we would remove the uh the you know remove uh, the other from the machine and let god decide for us and i asked god specifically lord if if seed cannot be 100% please take him home and it was like this warm sensation almost like pouring a pouring of a liquid started at the top of my head at the instant it stopped at my heart i felt this incredible peace almost like i was floating on air almost a, like a euphoric peace And um, as soon as the helicopter landed, I ran into the ER, saw that my husband was on the table. They were still performing CPR. And again, I thought he'd only been shot once, but the man that I saw on this table had multiple shots on his face. And I just, I couldn't register. It was like a, a slow moving film. And as soon as I got there, I started telling him that he needed to fight. But literally within a minute of me getting there, they called it. And they they pronounced him deceased. And it was really just, I I couldn't believe it. It was like living a nightmare because one minute I'm thinking, we're going to make it. He's been shot once. And now I find out that he's been shot multiple times. And I also did see that bruise on his chest from when the bullet hit his badge. Um, And the other thing that really was bothersome to me, I felt a tug at my leg. And as soon as I looked over, I realized that my sergeant was taking my gun from me. And you know that with our training and gun retention, it's it's a very, it, it you know, somebody pulls at your gun, it's it's you have a very visceral you know bad reaction, because that means somebody can use that weapon against you. And it was almost like it was conflicting for me because at my left I have my husband who's just been pronounced, and at my right I have my sergeant taking my gun, and I quickly had to put my emotions in check because I realized that he was doing that so that I wouldn't kill myself.
0: Yeah, I, I get why he did it, um, and I'm assuming he could be a, a woman too, but I get, and having been a sergeant, I get it, but man, I I, I wouldn't never want to be in that predicament where I had to do that. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm busted up listening to you talk about this. Um, and it brings back so many horrible memories of People I've known who were killed in a line of duty that, you know, truth is Tanya, you just don't get over it. You, for me personally, you just get used to it. And I don't know of another way to explain it.
1: Right. Um, you know, I, uh, over your uh, career in, in law enforcement, over my career in law enforcement, I, there was 12, uh, brothers that I saw that were killed in a line of duty that I knew personally, and uh, it, it's just rough. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that we know that someone is next, especially with what's going on right now. You know, we are being attacked every 30 to 35 hours someplace in the country, and we are being killed every, on average every 56 hours someplace in the country.
0: One of the things that we all agree on, we, we know the risks, and people say we signed up for this. And I, I really – I thought I knew what I was – getting into the truth is I really didn't know and I'm sure that like me you did not think this would ever happen to you and you did not think would ever happen to one of your loved ones because we just don't walk around with that mindset and and from what you talk about your husband Steve he was a really good cop and he's really good at what he did when I say cop that's an ultimate compliment coming from me the funny thing is that certain people say that I don't like it. Uh, you've got to walk the walk in order to say that, and, and I'm okay with it. This must have been, and I don't know the right words to use, and I'm always afraid. This is where the coward in me comes out because I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing, and I had a very good friend whose husband used to work for me, and he was killed in line of duty, and I said, I, I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing and I wouldn't talk to her, and she said, mm. you can't make things worse. The worst has already happened. The worst you can do is... Is not talk to me and act like I don't exist. Exactly. So exactly. I, and, I apologize. You know, it's
1: interesting you say that because a lot of people don't know what to say. And sometimes, um, yeah, you know, come and ask, how are you? It's really just as simple as that. How are you? And, and then we'll let you know. But there are people, just because they don't know what to say, they would rather avoid you. And, um, you know, Vicki and I experienced that with, with folks after both our husbands were gone. But um, no, that's the worst thing you could do, and you know there's also a lot of um, a lot of um, pe- people want want to assume they know what you're going through, so they try to give you advice or they try to tell you how to feel, and you know people grieve differently. Yeah, and, uh,
0: and uh, to, I, I wouldn't you know. take that. Uh, th- people tell me how to deal with it very well. I can guarantee that we're talking with Tanya Owen. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're we'll going to talk more about the loss of her husband killed her in the line of duty and, more importantly, how it impacted her and what she does with her life now. You can listen to the show as a podcast for free. That's right, 100% free. Just go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, you'll find us there, or do a Google search for a Law Enforcement Today podcast. Be sure to subscribe today. Remember, it's free. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We have a new podcast. It's called True Crime Fighters Podcast. Do a Google search for True Crime Fighters Podcast. Subscribe today or check us out on Facebook. Do a search for True Crime Fighters. Return conversation with Tanya Owen, a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy, also co-author of the book, after the badge, get more information about what she and her partner, Vicki Speed, do at their website, VickiAndTanya.com. And unfortunately, you had me crying in the last segment, Tanya, you're talking about the, the murder of your husband, Steve Owen, LA County sergeant who was executed in line of duty. And I've learned over the years, especially with this radio show, that I don't say stupid things. I hate when people say stupid things like, I'm sorry, or I understand. I don't understand. Um, and I, I wish this never happened. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And I know that, just by you talking about it, that what a, a gut punch this is. And, and unlike a gut punch, it, it, it lasts for a long time. And your whole world and your family's world was turned totally upside down. How was life for you after? And it, we could talk about the funeral and all that stuff. I really don't want to because of time but afterwards is where the real work for the family comes and where the real need is. How were things for you after?
1: Well, you know, I, it's interesting. A great question because like, you know, nine eleven after we were attacked as a, as a nation, it didn't matter, you know, what your background was, what your political beliefs was. We all came together as a country. Did we not, we were tighter than we could be. We, everybody had their, U.S. flags raised and everybody was united, and it's almost a similar thing that we we were a cat on October fifth, twenty sixteen. In my family, we were close at the time, but we just came together, and it was this tightness that I'd never seen before. And it was like this, you know. I promise you, we'll always be here for each other. We'll always be family. And like our country, as time passes on, things begin to fall apart because. Uh, of the of the loss, the incredible loss that we've had in our family, and um, and here we are four years later, and my family is really has fallen apart, and it's very sad. And when I talk to uh, district attorneys that handle murder cases, they say that this is not unusual for families to pa- fall apart after a loved one has been murdered, and that's unfortunately, I hate to report, but that's the truth. of you know what's going on with my family.
0: And I, I hate to hear that as well, but. I- I've heard so many stories like that. And I've heard so many stories where the children really have a difficult time afterwards. And not just the children, the spouses as well, but the children, especially if this happened when they were early teens or before their preteen years, that they go through tremendous upheaval and go through a lot of difficulty finding their, and I hate this term, their new normal or the life they want afterwards.
1: You know what, there is, yes, it, it, there is no such thing as a new normal. I think we, we use that word a little too loosely, but there is, you know, there is no new normal. Once you lose someone so significant in your life, uh, it just changes everything. And you are right, children react so much differently. And I'll, also, I'll let Vicki share her story with, with her uh, with her son and with my daughter in particular. She went into such a depression that I was really uh, worried about her possibly thinking about taking her life, and it wasn't until recently that she uh, disclosed to me that she she thought about it, but if it wasn't for the young uh, young man who happens to be her fiancé now, he's a deputy sheriff, if it wasn't for him being in her life and them actually pursuing counseling, I don't know where we would be today, to be quite honest with you. It's for myself, uh, my, you know, my husband and I had incredible faith in God and uh, really, if God is who has carried me and I've been able to to actually survive this so far and I know that I can't be too far from from him uh, in order to continue you know with my life so what's what's really wonderful is that God brought Vicki my business partner and I together and because of the incredible losses that we both suffered of course hers uh, in a different way but nevertheless the loss of a husband um, we've actually come together and really have, um, we really want to help other law enforcement families because it seems to everyone that Vicki and I are very strong. They tell us, oh, you guys are such strong women. How do you do this? It almost feels to them as though we have not had a loss because of, of the perseverance they see from us. And so as a result, Vicki and I were actually invited to speak um, at a gathering about our, our life and some of the things that we faced and how we overcame life, you know, married to law enforcement officers, and we didn't know if we were going to have two people, five people, ten people, and it ended up being that there was over 500 people that showed up to, to this to this uh, church to listen to us, and it was it was incredible the uh, acknowledgement we got from people. It was so touching that you know, we kept on being asked to continue speaking and, and being inspirational, if you will. And as a result, uh, Vicki and I decided that we wanted to reach the masses and really help law, law enforcement marriages, and not so much law enforcement marriages. You know, marriage is marriage, and we all have pretty much the same issues. But we all know that if we endure and if we go through these, you know, bumps in life, so to speak, together, the marriage just becomes stronger. It's just being able to get through those things. And um, so Vicky and I uh, decided to write a book, and it's uh, named uh, After the Badge, and where we chronicle, really, our, our lives uh, with our husbands and the obstacles that we went through. And really, we both almost destroyed and lost our marriages, but if it wasn't for God's grace and love and, and forgiveness, um, you know, we wouldn't end it up where we did, and that was that we, you know, in each, in our respective marriages, fell back in love, and our marriages were 100% solid when
0: her husband uh, went home. My first question, and this, this is one I don't know if you can really answer. When people face really big challenges in their life, it's very easy to lose connection with uh, faith, with um, uh, people use religion, whatever term you want to use, spiritual-based, whatever it might be. How did you find your faith, or was it always there?
1: Well, at the beginning of our marriage, that was our faith was the glue in our marriage, and then of course, you know life takes over kids and then you kind of kick God out of the out of the car. but then once you bring him back in and get that you know faith back it it really God really is the glue to to a marriage and you know i don't want to just push God I understand i I respect other other faiths, but whatever it is, whatever it is that you believe in, have something to to really just gel that marriage together. And um, and we we've all always had that faith. And afterwards, after my husband was murdered, my faith with God catapulted tenfold.
0: I think it's great you said that because one of the things I say to people all the time, and what I had to do personally, and it's different challenges, but when I got sick and tired of fighting, and you're right, from day one of the academy, we're taught don't give up the fight, stay in the fight. You can't quit. You vote, it doesn't matter how bad you're losing, you have to stay in it, and that, that mindset stayed with me, even after I got hurt and retired and all this stuff, and I eventually I got so tired of the fight, I had to give up and say, God, you got it. I don't know what's gonna happen in my life, I'll do the best I can, I'll do what's put in front of me, but you got it, and in a way, it was like blaming, saying, if it doesn't work out, big man, it's your fault. But it's worked <laughs> right, out great, right. it's worked out much better than I ever thought it would.
1: Here's the thing, after our husbands were gone, Vicky and I had a decision to make, to live or die. That's about a line. Do you want to live or do you want to die? Well, we chose to live. And every day is about a choice. Every morning, God gives us another opportunity to do something good and something positive in life. And if we don't, it's on us.
0: Absolutely true. Every
1: day when we, yes, we, we open our eyes, it's another opportunity to do something incredible.
0: And... There's an old saying, I was always taught, get busy living or get busy dying, one or the other. And it c- can be yes, as sir. simple. as When I say simple, it doesn't mean easy. It just means it's not complicated. Where can people get more information about you and Vicki and all that you do?
1: Vicky and Tanya.com.
0: It's a very simple one, website, VickiandTanya.com. And I assume you all are on social media as well? We are
1: on social media. V- Vicki, V-I-C-K-I-E, and Tanya, T E as in Tom, A-N-I-A.com.
0: And where can, very quickly, where can people get your book?
1: You can get the book at com, or Amazon or Barnes &
0: Noble. and Tanya, thanks so much for sharing your story here in the Law Enforcement Today show. It's all so very much appreciated. And by the way, again, thank you for your service. That's also appreciated very much as well.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Yeah. yeah.